You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. Well, I don't know about you, but a rainy Saturday was good for me. Um, I didn't have a whole lot to do. I was able to read a lot, uh, which doesn't sound restful maybe to some of you, but it was really good for me. And so I'm feeling good today and excited to be in the house of the Lord, and I'm hoping I can get you there uh, soon enough, okay? It is good to be in God's house. What a beautiful opportunity we have today to experience uh, the gospel together, to, to celebrate what Christ has done for us. Now, we've been in the book of Genesis, which seems pretty far removed from the gospels, but it's not. It's all connected. In fact, today, as we go through our passage today, we're going to see that much of what we need to think about in terms of sharing our faith, kind of the simple way of looking at our lives and how we can live, it all boils down to basically two ways to live. Now, I want you to know, I'm, I didn't come up with that phrase. It's, it's been around for a long time. There's a great little track that I'm going to talk about here in just a moment that you can get a hold of that goes along with that theme. But I'm here to tell you, as we are looking at first things, uh, we see today a, a really simple two-path kind of option that all of us have walking in this world. So if you will, stand with me as we stand upon the solid rock of God's Word, we are in Genesis 4, beginning in verse 17. I want you to hear these words, and we're going to see two clear paths. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad uh, fathered Mahujiel, and Mahujiel fathered Methusiel, and Methusiel fathered Lamech, and Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Ida. And the name of the other, Zillah. Ida bore Jabal, and he was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and the pipe, and most of those were behind us just a few minutes ago. Zilha also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Nama. Lamech said to his wives, Ida and Zala, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh, at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to worship you. Thank you for the opportunity to call on your name. This morning, driving into the church, I saw people with their kayaks and their golf clubs and everything else going their way. Lord, there's always a path to take. And uh, uh, the right one and the wrong one. And so, God, I thank you for those who are here. I thank you for those who are at home and able to tune in. And I thank you, God, for their passion to worship you and to grow in truth. I'm so thankful for that. And so, God, today, help us grow in truth. Fill us with your goodness, God, so that we don't have any room for anything evil. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. 
Are you in concert with your Creator or in conflict with Him? Are you in step with the Lord or are you out of sorts? It really does boil down to those two options. We're either with the Lord and experiencing Him or we're out of fellowship. We're out of tune, as it were. And I want you to realize today as we go through this passage of Scripture, what we're going to see is that all human activity, okay? So just think about this. Everything that you do, and I I don't mean just on Sundays, okay? Whether you're kayaking on Sundays or playing golf on Sundays. By the way, go have fun this afternoon. But anyway, um, here's the deal. No matter what you're filling your time with, okay, seven days a week, every human activity, every passion and pursuit in our lives is hurrying us down one path or the other. There are only two ways to live. For many years, there's been this great resource by Philip Jensen and Tony Payne called Two Ways to Live. And I'm going to show you real quick how they summarize the gospel. And this is important because so much of what they say as we're sharing the gospel, it's amazing how much of our gospel witness is Old Testament, how much we have to build. We can't just start with Jesus because people need to know why Jesus came why it's so important that we have Jesus as our Lord and Savior. You need to understand this Old Testament stuff first. So, so this particular way, the, the, the two ways to live, this tract is very helpful. So here it is, six simple expressions. And I'm going to go fast. Um, we can get them to you later if you want to copy them down. But one, God is the ruler of the world and of every human being. The, 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 the Bible begins in Genesis 1 with a sovereign creator. But now we know the world is different because of human rebellion and sin. We've been talking about that the last several weeks, the fall there in Genesis chapter 3. The third point here is very sobering. God will not let rebellion and injustice remain. So if we continue to go down the wrong path, there's judgment coming. Obviously, we know as Christians that God sent Jesus in the world to live a sin-free life. So he's the difference maker. And then Jesus rose from the dead and killed death for us. And then I believe that Payne and Jensen say it so well. This leaves us with two options. We can continue in our rebellion or surrender our hearts to Jesus and receive new life. Now, I like it when things are simple. Now, I'm going to pause for a moment. I want to show you something. Just so you realize that what we do here in big church, which is kind of how I remember when I was little, we had big church and children's church. Um, And often those two things didn't coincide necessarily, but today they really do. I want to show you this slide. If you've got a kid in our children's ministry with our little ones, basically we walk them through this process here. And it's four steps, or five, preachers don't count real well. Um, It's five instead of six, but it tells us basically the same thing about the Bible. So our kids are learning about uh, God's rule, his sovereignty. They're learning how we sinned and how God provided Jesus to the cross and how Jesus continues to, to give us through his resurrection uh, what we need and we need to respond. And I want you to look at that. It's kind of funny, the little hands raised up, right? Um, obviously, you know, uh, I don't know if that's Baptist worship or not, but somebody's holding up their hands and, and it's in response. It's like me, Lord, We have to respond. We have to hear the gospel message and respond to it. And the two ways to live is encouraging us to realize and to see and to discern which direction, which path we're on. I want us to think about that right now as we go through the rest of this service today, this time in the Word. 
I want you to, to truly surrender your heart. I want you to allow the Lord to have some free reign in between your ears and help you to see which path indeed you are on. Every human being who has ever lived, not just the ones living today, not just you in this room, every single human being from the very beginning has had these two choices. Think about it. Adam and Eve were given the choice at the very beginning to obey God's commands and stay away from that tree or to rebel. They rebelled. Clearly, we talked uh, last week about Cain and Abel. Cain had this opportunity. God's grace was all over him. God said, don't do what you're going to do. Sin lies crouching at the door. He was warned about his anger, warned about his sin, and yet he still murdered his brother Abel. He had another path. He chose the path of sin. It should come as no surprise now that as we get here to the end of chapter 4, that once again we see two clear paths. But this time, it's a little different. In those two instances with Adam and Eve and Cain, you have individuals that are like at a fork in the road. They can go left or they can go right. Here, we have two separate individuals, two separate dialogues, narratives, if you will, where we see one taking the the wrong path, and then we're going to follow up with one taking the right path. And this is important because we need to understand how subtle and how easy, or in Jesus' words, how broad the path to destruction truly is. The other path is narrow because it's spiritual. It's narrow because it's God's way. It's narrow because it requires us to submit to God and to refrain from our rebellion. And so today we're going to think of it in terms of the path of Lamech, and Enosh, okay? Those are going to be our two main focal points today. Two uh, persons from Scripture from way back when, here at the beginning of time in this golden age, when people lived a long, long time, we're going to see uh, two clear paths. And let's begin with the way of sin. The way of sin. By far, the majority of our text here is dealing with the way of sin. The majority of our text is dealing with uh, the, the choices and the actions and the activities of Lamech. Now, Genesis 4, to me, is a bit of a mystery. It's, it's filled with mystery and surprise. And here's why. When we start thinking about uh, what it means to live a good life, oh, we have certain boxes. Now, it depends on where you grew up and what, what the, uh, you know, the values and virtues were in your family of origin. But for you, your family sort of set up this this idea of what it meant to be good and to live a good life. Now, whatever that looks like, going to church, for many of us, going to church was one of those boxes that we would check. Uh, Maybe, uh, you know, beyond that, working hard, having a job. Uh, Beyond that, uh, being a good husband and father. And, And so here's the deal. What we like to do is we like to think, okay, here are the boxes that make me a good person, and I'm just going to make sure every day... I put that little check uh, by all three boxes, and ergo, I am a good person. Well, if you're that kind of thinker, Genesis 4 is going to mess with your mind. It's going to mess with your mind. And here's why. Notice that good works and God's blessings aren't anywhere near, well, good works aren't, God's blessings are, actually. Chapter 4, verse 17 down through verse 24 
There are no good works. There's nothing said in those passages about Cain and his descendants that make you go, well, these are good people. Not at all. In fact, they are the opposite of good. Cain is portrayed in Scripture as a bad guy. There is nothing redeeming or redeemable said about his character or personality. Every time you hear him talk or God talks to him, you realize that this is a man who's choosing the path of rebellion and sin. And though he is wicked to the core, it is interesting to note that as he rejects the love of God the Father, even as he's crying about his fate when he deserves it, by every objective measure, verses 17 through 22, look at it, they show how Cain and his progeny prosper. This is a guy who not once can we check a box and say he's going to church. He's being a good person. He's taking care of of those good, virtuous things that we all would say are good, virtuous things. The fact is, the one who rebelled against God's law and rejected God's love is our first city builder, civilizer, and culture shaper. Did you see that in the text? There's a lot going on here. Cain's lineage is in the middle of all these amazing things. And we see the invention of cities. We see music. Good thing, right, Rich? I mean, come on. Weapons, not so good necessarily. Agricultural implements, you know, those things that we need to till the ground. These were individuals that were clever. I think one of the big mistakes we make, and this is just one of my pet peeves, is to assume that the ancients were dumb. I'm telling you, when I read passages like this, I'm reminded that these were very smart people, maybe far, far advanced than we realize now. Uh, The evidence of that, I think, gets wiped away in this thing called the flood. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. But there's a lot going on here, and it's not all bad. Now, one scholar puts it pretty well. I think he says that uh, basically what's going on here is uh, culture is developed to help human beings cope with the curse. Another person says it like this, that they are making the best of a bitter situation. Now, what does that mean? Well, obviously, God has cursed the world. We know that there is a fallen condition that is now on humanity. And so, what does humanity do? Well, they try to make the most of the situation. So, let me just pause here for a moment because I'm going to say some things today about culture that may sound really negative. But let me just say this culture by itself, human culture is not all bad. But here's the deal when culture doesn't have God, really, what it is, it's a mechanism. Of coping. Culture is a way that we distract ourselves from our grave, distract ourselves from pain in life, distract ourselves from the inevitable. Just think about that. That's what culture is in terms, it's a supplement. Now, when we have Jesus, when we have the cross, when we have Christ, we have the cure. Jesus isn't here, and he didn't come, and he didn't give us his word to help us cope. Listen, some people think that that's what we we use religion as a coping mechanism. No, listen, we have Jesus. He's the cure. He's the cure. The funny thing is, is the world, they they accuse us of of using God as kind of a way to cope. What are they coping with? They're coping with culture. They're trying to, they they cope with good music or, 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 you know, Broadway shows or whatever it is that you think of as culture. I'm afraid to tell you this, but now culture is just staring at your phone all day. It's not very good culture. Now, let me just say this. Every advancement of culture brings an equal measure of woe and benefit, but sadly, often more woe. 
Culture isn't necessarily or inherently evil, but often, as I'm intimating here, it becomes a replacement for God. Now, when I prayed this morning, I I wasn't trying to pick on anybody, but I I wanted you to realize that when we choose to do things that have nothing to do with worship on, say, a Sunday, realize what we've done there is we've just substituted something that's not necessarily bad. Recreational things that are legal and and fine, that's all well and good. Notice I said legal, because the world we live in today, you got to be careful what you say. Um... It's okay. There's nothing wrong with it. But notice when, when we use that as a replacement. Now, let's go beyond having fun. Let's talk about human advancements in science, medicine, or even, even the phone. It's not all bad. It, it, these things can ease our pain, prolong our lives. Sometimes it's good to have some useful distractions. I'm telling you, you know, moms need some useful distractions. There's nothing wrong with it, mom. If you're going to get off somewhere, get away from the crying kids and, and, and watch an episode of your favorite show. I'm not telling you that's a bad thing. But what's happening in our culture is we are amusing ourselves with those distractions to the point where they consume us. Where, where they become the main focus of our lives. They're not distractions. They become the main storyline of our lives. I believe that It's these cultural elements, when we're not careful, that lead us to a dead end. So let me just say this. Down deep, culture without Christ is a sideshow from the main act. It is like the sleight of hand of uh, of a magician keeping us from life's profound realities. A good musician, I'm I'm sorry, (laughs) probably this too, but magician, sorry for that little slip there, a really good magician is good because they're quick with their hands. They can keep you from seeing what's really going on. And I think that's how the devil uses culture. He uses culture because he knows if we can have our our eyes diverted, even for a moment, we will focus on that. Because our hearts, when we find something good that we like, we have a tendency to want more of that. So the culture, though it's not inherently bad, if it becomes the focus, then the word in the Bible is, it becomes your idol. And idols are bad things because they're less than God. And not only are they less than God, they pull us away from God. Now it's interesting to note that Cain was told that he was going to be a wanderer all his days. And to show you how sinful he is, he has a son and his son, and he set up a a city called Enochville. It's not really called Enochville, but I thought that was really clever. Um... So, so they call their little town Enochville. Now, now that seems pretty innocent, right? He just, he, he does what humans do. We come together in cities and we, we have uh, the ability to, to, to uh, protect one another and to have amenities. There's only one problem. God said you're supposed to be a wanderer. So here in one of the more subtle ways, we see Cain still doing what Cain wants to do. Now, one of the things that I find is, is that I, I grew up kind of in a rural context Um, You know, uh, thinking about big city, you know, for me, big city equals bad country, idyllic. Now, if you were raised in the country, you kind of feel that way. Let me just say this. Tim Keller has such a good corrective here. He says, our cities are more densely populated with image bearers than any other place on earth. Therefore, God loves the city. When my daughter moved to Chicago, I can't tell you how many times I had people in the church, and you probably, some of you have said it to me, worried about her and praying for her, and that, I, I, me too, let me tell you, like every day. 
But many times when I've had the conversation, it's because we assume that the city is evil. And that if, if she were in a more rural context, it would be safer. And anybody that sent their kid off to college anywhere knows that ain't true. There, there's no safe place from sin. There might be an intensity of sin in the city, but we need to realize that the ultimate issue here is Cain's city has no place for God. Any place that has no place or little room for God is going to be a dangerous place. And sadly, that's why many of our universities are difficult places for our children is because there's no room for God on those campuses. That's the issue. That's the issue. When we go to school, when we go into entertainment, and I'll tell you, so much entertainment today, and, and I'm, I'm not a great critic here, I don't know everything, but when I, when I do pay attention to art and to music and to uh, Broadway stuff, I've noticed that most of it really is pretty base. The themes are very base, very um, earthy. I'm, I'm trying to be very kind here because some of it's just gross. What passes for art today many times, in, in my view, and for my taste, it's just gross. It's celebrating all the wrong things. It's not celebrating love. It's celebrating lust. It's not celebrating human strength and male and female, but it's, it's talking about domineering one over the other. It's not right. It's not good. It's not healthy. And we need to understand that ultimately this is the way of Cain. When we give in to that, we are giving in to the way of Cain. And we see the ultimate uh, high water mark of this ugliness in Lamech. Take a look here at verse 23. Now notice what's going on here. If you have a, a copy of scripture that's, that's kind of standardized, you'll notice that these words are center uh, struck. In other words, they're, they're not like the rest of the text around it. Left, uh, uh, the margin is not on the left, it's in the center justification. That's important because what we have here is a poem or even better yet, a song. So how we get to know Lamech is the song he sings. And I'll tell you something, the songs you're singing say a lot about what's in your heart. That's another sermon for another day. But notice this, one, one scholar calls this song the taunt song. Ross calls it that. Matthews calls it the song of the sword. Here's what I call it, an early ACDC song. Listen to it. First, this guy has two wives, so we have, we, have, we have something different. We no longer have monogamy. Lamech is the very first person to have multiple wives. This is a problem. There's sexual sin. So the song is rock and roll, baby, because it starts with sexual sin. Then it goes on to talk about violence, how he killed a man for wounding me. So somebody just insulted him a little bit, and he comes back and he kills them. Now listen, this isn't Fanny Crosby hymnology here. This is ACDC rock and roll. The very first song is not a hymn. It is a very wicked song because it's the path of Lamech. Culture isn't always bad, but look what happens when culture replaces God. When culture replaces God, this is what happens. Lamech is willing to kill somebody in cold blood, pride, sexual transgression, anger, murder. All of this flows from advanced culture. Today, there are people who hide behind their sophistication, but really all they're doing is trying to find a way to justify their sin. That is not okay, church. It is not okay. Cain walks the way of sin. His grandchildren sprint down this path with reckless abandon. And here's the deal. The way of sin is downhill. 
When you are on this path, it is hard to slow down. A couple times I've been driving out in Colorado, and when you get going down some of those hills, those aren't hills, those are mountains you're going down. And if you're not careful, you look down and you're doing 95 or 100 miles an hour and you haven't even touched the gas. I'm going to tell you that's a pretty good analogy. It shows you, one, I'm not a very good driver. Two, it shows you, it shows you how easy it is to lose control. Now, here's what's wild. Cain is still alive, even to the seventh generation. When you live several hundred years, you're, you're going to see several generations of your family. So Cain is witnessing all this chaos. And instead of putting it in check, he seems to just speed it along. I bet he was proud of his son's violent tendencies. Because I'm telling you, when you go down this path, pretty soon you just don't care anymore. And God becomes a distant memory. Remember, Cain had heard the voice of God. Listen to this. Think about it. I mean, I haven't heard the audible voice of God. I have the word of God, and I'm thankful for that. But this man had heard the audible voice of God, and he is in rebellion all the way down to the seventh generation. Friends, I'm not here to bash culture and progress. I am very much uh, in agreement with the beautiful things that culture has provided us. I enjoy being in big cities. I enjoy beautiful music. I love modern transportation. I love modern sanitation. I love all these things. You go on a mission trip, and you realize how good we've got it. Amen? Anybody that's been on a mission trip probably has a story, uh, something along those lines. We are thankful for those advancements. We do not see them as ultimately ugly. But when that's the path we go down, and the majority of our world is going down that path, it's the way of death. Cain's family tree is not a tree of life. It is a tree of death. And we cannot allow our cultural pursuits to replace our pursuit of Christ. But that's what's happened. Even many of us, we're pursuing things that are not inherently evil, but they are nor, nor are they inherently godly. In Cain's world, though, I'm going to tell you, there's no end to the chaos. This is the way of sin. But there is a better way. Let's talk about the way of the Savior. Lamech's braggadocious song, I've already told you, it's rock and roll, um, is, is interesting. Notice again that he says that he is going to... Um, uh, revenge, not sevenfold, but 77-fold. Did you know Jesus actually quotes this? Jesus quotes this. But he shows how different the way of the Savior is. Because, notice, it's all about revenge in Genesis 4, 24. But Jesus, in Matthew 18, 21, 22, says that we should forgive the one who hurts us 77 times. You see, with Jesus, it's the opposite of the way of the world. Jesus, listen, and we're going to talk about this for just a moment. Jesus doesn't tell us to avoid culture. He is calling us to transform it. Our job isn't, listen, goodness gracious, I've been a Baptist all my life, so I can say this. All my life, I've seen Baptists lament the state of the world and say they're bad, bad, bad. Let me say it is okay to identify the evil in the culture, but we don't stop there. We are salt and light. We are to be love and grace. We are to change the world, not just complain about it. I don't want to hear complaints. I want us to be agents of change. Complaining is easy. It's remedial, and it's better. It's, you're better than that. Let's identify the problem, but let's make sure that we are replacing the sin in the world with the message of the Savior. Lamech's way is the way of sin in the world. 
The way of Jesus is better. The Cain family way is to do it my way. Sinatra has a song on that if you want to listen to it. Have you heard that song in a while? Imagine someone choosing that song for their funeral. That happened to me once. That was the song that was played right before I preached. Go listen to it. Tell me what you think. I think it's the anthem of the family of Cain. Adam and Eve are brokenhearted. If you've lost a child, verse 25 is heavy. Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son, named him Seth. She said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. There is grief there. There is sadness, but there is also hope. And I want you to notice that Eve is candid about the sad state of affairs, but she still believes that God is at work in the world, and she sees a new foundation being built. And ironically, Seth gives birth to a son by the name of Enosh. And Enosh, his name in Hebrew, represents the idea, notice this, of man's insignificance, man's weakness, and his dependence on God. Now, isn't that interesting? Because so far we've talked about all these cultural things that Cain and his family, they're building cities, they're inventors, they're musicians. They, they, I mean, all the things that we consider high culture, power, authority, making the most of this world. This guy, Enish, is the opposite of it. He is a weak, frail person, but notice his influence on his day. He is influencing the culture in a way that no one else is because it was during his days that man first called on the name of the Lord. We will not call on the name of the Lord as we ought to until we realize that we are weak, that sin is stronger than us, that we need something from above. We need help from God. We need the Holy Spirit. Friends, to change the culture, we don't get stronger in the flesh. We're going to have to acknowledge our weakness in the flesh. We get stronger in the spirit. The church must grow in holiness before we can help. I know a lot of people want to change the world, but you're not going to change the world like you are now, like I am now. I need more holiness, and so do you. When we are filled with the Spirit, when we are holy unto God, that is when we can change the culture. Seth and Enos show us the way of the Savior, a way of humility and grace. The secular world tells us to accrue power. Get what you want. Christ is saying, give it up. Love people. Be gracious to them. Sacrifice your comforts for the least of these. The way of the Savior is complete surrender. When I think about Ridgecrest, I'm so thankful for all that we have. We have been given much, and we will be held accountable for much. The way of the Savior, the way of Jesus, is one of sacrificial giving. And I'm not just talking about your tithes and offerings. I'm talking about your time and your energy. I'm talking about everything. I'm talking about all that you are. We are our, our treasures. You are treasures in jars of clay. I wish I had time to read that passage from uh, 2 Corinthians 4. But listen to me. I, I'm, I'm here to tell you, we may be jars of clay. We may be weak, but there is the treasure of Christ in you. And the world needs that treasure. The world needs you to acknowledge your weakness so that you can call on the name of the Lord. We need people who are worshipers of Jesus, first and foremost. Don't tell me what your ministry is before you tell me about your time with God. 
Your time in prayer, your time in the Word, your time in fellowship with the saints, those are the things that will make you a change agent in the world. All the things that this world offers are amazing and beautiful. There are things out there that just blow my mind. Uh, This world has so many things to offer you, but none of those things will lead you past the grave. And I am here to tell you that the way of the Savior can give you a joy-filled life in this world and the hope of eternal life forever. There are two ways to live. There are two ways to invest your time. And the only way that gets you past this whole world is the way of the Savior. Enosh was a change agent. He's the first generation of people, led the first generation of people that led the way back to God. In modern terms, we'd call this, he was at the center of a revival. The world was going its own way. And then this weak guy named Enish shows up and changes course. When we get a little further into the Bible and we get into the time when the Hebrew children were in Egypt, we realize that there, the people of Egypt, the, the Israelites in Egypt, they had a choice. They could go the way of Pharaoh, which was, again, the way of Cain, the way of advanced culture, the way of power and authority. Or they could go the way of Yahweh. The idea there and the idea even here today is we know that culturally speaking we're outgunned. It doesn't look like we can make much of a dent in the culture. We feel like we're doing a good job here in the south. Uh, here in, in southwest Missouri anyway, there's a lot of churches and a lot of people go to church. So we feel like we're doing a good job. But I want you to go with me around the world to some places where there aren't any churches in pretty big cities and realize that it, for many believers around the world, it feels like we're losing this battle. And if we don't get serious and have a revival in America, it's going to look like we're losing the battle here in America in just 20 years. Because too many of us in the church are still walking down the way of Cain. We are not people calling on the name of the Lord. We're calling on the name of something else. God loves you, and he is calling you to be a change agent in this culture. And let me just put it to you this way. I don't know. Are some of you rebels? You probably don't think of yourself as that. Well, let me just change your mind. We need a generation of rebels. The way of the Savior is rebellion against the rebellion. Cain's way is a rebellion against God's way, and we, church, are a rebellion against the rebellion. You want to stand out? You want to be different? You want to change the world? Be a Christian. Give your heart to Jesus. Sell out to him. Show the world that God means more than anything else. Sell out. We need to be praying for God to raise up a new generation of bold teachers and leaders who will call on the name of the Lord, acknowledging their weakness in the flesh, but trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit. We need this so desperately today in America. We need men and women called. I first felt the call of God very early in my life, seven, eight years of age. There's nothing wrong if we have kids here that are talking about being a pastor, talking about being a missionary. Don't steer them away from that. Steer them to that. That's the best life. Ain't much money in it, but it's the best life. It can be a sacrifice. It should be a sacrifice. It's a glorious sacrifice. Give everything to Jesus. He's worth it. 
the culture is offering us, dangling in front of us, some delicious-looking fruit. That didn't work out too good for Adam and Eve. It ain't going to work out very good for you either. Walk away from the pursuits of the Cain-inspired culture and pursue the heart of God. There are two ways to live. Which way are you living? Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.